What is going on, everyone? This is your host, the God of Thunder, and welcome to episode 9 of The Circle Pit. The other night, I got to interview C.J. Graham, the guy who played Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. The conversation went on for about 20 minutes. I got a lot of good answers, and I hope you all enjoy. Have a listen. Hey, is John? Yes, C.J.? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, I was supposed to call you at 430. I hope uh, I'm calling you at the right time since I'm off the West Coast. You're perfect. Thank you. So how's the uh, nightclub business? Are you still doing that? No, actually, um, I, I did a nightclub business in the 80s. Oh, okay. And, yeah, what I did is I ran clubs back there. And that's how I was introduced to the folks uh, that did Friday the 13th Part 4 with Ted White. And... Um, as I always tell people, the rest is history. Yeah. So I just, um, I read a little bit about you becoming Jason. And I heard you weren't the first choice, correct? Correct. So, you know, I'll give you the two we do. So I was running a nightclub in Los Angeles. And on Thursday nights, I had a hypnotist, a guy named Jack McLaughlin. And great show every Thursday, packed house. And, this, you know, this, this place was a, a 15,000-square-foot nightclub. So it, it, you know, can can do anything as in today, bigger clubs. Um, Jack decided he wanted to have a production company come in and film his show so he could get a tape together to promote his show and his capabilities to start traveling. It just happens the company he picked is called Real Effects. R-E-E-L effects. And Real Effects just happened to be the actual effects company which had a, uh, a post across the street from Paramount Studios that was involved with part four. And they said to uh, Jack McLaughlin, the hypnotist, why don't we do a scary scene with a Jason coming through the screen to the subjects, which are the people that are under hypnosis. And they said, yeah, that's great. And they said, well, let's use CJ. He's about the same size as Ted White. We've got the wardrobe, the mask. And sincerely, like I said, the rest is history because when I came through the screen, these guys just looked at me and just were like, you know what, you're going to be the next Jason. And I'm like, okay, yeah, right, whatever. And uh, lo and behold, a few months later, they called me to come in for an audition to meet uh, Frank Mancuso Jr. at Paramount Studios, the director, Tom McLaughlin, writer-director, and Michael Nomad, the stunt coordinator. Um, Everybody was pleased, present, happy. However, I've never been in acting. I was not uh, SAG, Screen Actors Guild, and I'd never done a stunt. Mm-hmm. And Jason has to do all their own stunts. So, lo and behold, I, I was very appreciative for the call and I got to meet these cool people. And uh, I went home for my business and think nothing of it. And the person they selected um, was a stuntman. And, you know, he they did what's called a daily. Uh, they went down to Covington, Georgia, and the daily is when he comes back and they get to see, sit in a room the next day or two days later and just kind of see how the tape looks, you know, before editing. And they just weren't pleased with the structure, the physical structure once they put him in wardrobe. Um, so, unfortunately, they released him and they called me. I went back to uh, Paramount Studios on a Friday and Saturday they called me saying I got the job and uh, Monday or Tuesday I was on a plane to Covington, Georgia. That's awesome. How was so, it? Um, uh, what's that? Um, how'd you feel putting that costume on? You know, since I was so green, naive, 
Um, it wasn't a big deal at the time as it is today. You know, I'm extremely honored to be here today. Mm-hmm. It was more of a, okay, hey, I'm, a, I'm in a movie. How cool is that? <laughs> you know, and really didn't know the impact. Because to be fair, none of us 30 years ago knew what Jason was going to come into iconically. I mean, to be one of the iconic horror figures that will go down in the history books, who knew that 30 years ago? Yeah. So at the time, it was like, wow, they're paying me scale. I'm making good money. They're paying me my stunts. This is cool. Uh, and like I said, you know, I just went through, did my job, and, and was blessed enough to do it well, where the performance today still stands with some of the best ones out there. Yeah. Um, I know you, ju- you just recently did a convention in full costume, right? Actually, yes. In fact, about a year ago, I had, about a year and a half ago, a lot of my fans kept saying, CJ, can you do a wardrobe? Can you put your wardrobe together? Um, Kane Cotter had done one uh, a while before that. It, it was great, but, you know, he did the Part 7 wardrobe, which takes about three, four hours of makeup and very costly to put together. Um, and I said, you know what, I'll do it. So five or six of my fans and I worked together that worked with special effects, hoods, masks. I knew everything in the wardrobe. Uh from the originality of what it's supposed to be. I was in the military uh, back in 1974 to 1978. It just happened that the shirt Jason wore was a Vietnam-era OD green shirt. Mm. It also just happens that it was a Vietnam-era khaki pants on the bottom, a Vietnam-era combat boots, uh, jungle boots, black, uh, pistol, web belt is what it's called, and uh, 18-inch machete. So... With all that being said, the gloves were just simple, good, you know, leather gloves. I knew what the wardrobe was made of. I knew what it should look like. I had all my personal photos and these different individuals. And I worked via email and pictures to get the wardrobe spot on. If you look at the front of the chest, you'll see seven spear marks. You'll find all seven in their actual spot per pictures or per screen, whichever one you want to look at. So... You know, I did start doing that, and it's been a huge success. Uh, You know, just recently had uh, well over 500 people in a photo op opportunity. Um, I had, uh, last year, I had over 400 by myself. I had 175 people with their guests go through. Um, So it's been a huge success. Uh, Kane and I spoke about a year ago, and Kane has now put together a Part 8 wardrobe, which is a lot easier for him to get into costume. And then, of course, Steve Dash has put a wardrobe together. And, uh, you know, Candyman, Tony Todd, has been doing it for a while. His mm-hmm. wardrobe is a little more simple. And uh, it's been really a huge success and well-received by the fans. Yeah. Um, has Was there any talk about maybe, like, you coming back as a Jason? Because I know you were only in the sixth one. Um, right. What happened and, with and, the seventh you know, one? Well, part seven I was scheduled to do. Mm-hmm. And Kane Hart will tell you the same story. So Frank Mancuso Jr. at Paramount Studios and the crew were satisfied and pleased. And I was lined up for seven. Uh, but the, the director, John, who was on board, uh, knew Kane. And Kane really, really was, he's a big horror guy. He really gets into the horror. And he went to John, the director that he had worked for. And John had to go to Paramount Studios to convince him to... Uh, allow Kane to take over the role. So Kane then took over the role. However, I will say, you know, Kane has been an amazing ambassador for the Jason series. You know, he did four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works his butt off out there every week or every other week doing conventions 
and different things promoting the Jason. So I, I think Jason series, you got to give Kane his just that he did what I wouldn't have been able to do, go out there every single weekend and travel the world like he's done um, to continue to make it an iconic role. Mm-hmm. Um, but let, let me, let me say this on it. Yeah. The question, I guess, is if, you know, it's thrown in front of you, and I take it. Um, and I've said this in panels. If I had an opportunity to step into the role, because I'm the same physical structure, as you may have seen, if you if you pulled up my website, jason6.com, you'll see photos of me in the wardrobe. You'll kind of go, God, it looks like you just stepped right off the, the set. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I saw pictures a from a few it. weekends ago. Yeah, I would take a look at it. As long as the script and the storyline meets the expectations to which I would like it to be successful and I feel that I could produce and deliver a Jason equal to part six, if not better, I'd, I'd entertain the option. But if I don't think I could deliver the product as I did in 1986, I would uh, pass on it because I'm not looking at it from a money perspective. Um, I don't want to put a, a spit in the eye of my success and my fans of what I did um, so I'd say, you know, take a look at Kane or take a look at Derek. But again, if I had the physical capabilities, the screen was written and I could deliver a product that you and I both could be proud of. Yeah. I'd entertain it. Mm-hmm. How was, um, like going through the movie. I just, I just watched it a few nights ago too. It's by far my favorite Friday the 13th, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And what was your favorite kill that you did? <laughs> You know, we all have our favorite kill. My favorite kill was breaking the sheriff's back. Yeah. And the reason for that was it wasn't about the blood, the gore, pulling out the heart, twisting the head off. It was just about the immense power it would take to break somebody in half like that. Mm-hmm. You know, Kane Hodder, he's a good friend of mine. He'll tell you his favorite kill is the sleeping bag. Well, you don't really see, you just hear the bones breaking when he flips it around under a tree. It just allows the imagination to go, holy moly. So mine was breaking the sheriff's back. That's awesome. Um, have you seen any Friday the Thirteenth beforehand? No, actually, beforehand I, I'd never seen one. So when I did go up for the part, I went ahead and rented three of them, one through three, and took a look at what had been created up to when Richard did it in the three D um, to familiarize myself um, for two reasons. Number one, I didn't want to walk in the studio and be completely dumb. Uh, but more importantly, I wanted to get a basic, but the, the nice thing is, uh, Tom McLaughlin told me exactly what he wanted and how he was trying to create this new monster that would be similar to a Frankenstein of the sixties, uh, but agile, but curious, but yet deadly. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool. Now in 91, you were also in highway to hell. Correct. How was that? That was great. Uh, it's interesting because on Highway to Hell, uh, if you've seen a lot of people are just starting to catch it on Blu-ray because it just came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Hemdale, that did the film, didn't get the national distribution they had wanted to. Uh, what had happened was Hemdale had to do a bankruptcy. So the movie was getting ready to be, it had been edited, cut, ready to be distributed to the theaters. Unfortunately, Hemdale bankruptcy, and it sat on the shelves until just a few years ago when United Artists, MGM, bought the rights to it, pulled it off the shelf and put it into a Blu-ray and then made a distribution on Blu-ray. I know. So everyone knows you for Friday the 13th, 
for the most part. Would you go back and do, like, if there was a remake of either Friday the 13th and Highway to Hell, which one would you do? Well, Friday the 13th, uh, unequivocally, because it's got the national, in fact, it's got the uh, the worldwide recognition, is what I'm saying. People mm-hmm. know that. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to carry a lot further. Um, however, if I if I did have an opportunity to look at the helicopter and it would get the distribution, I think it would give it a kick in the butt. Where the uh, Friday the 13th is still obviously by far my favorite and most nationally recognized, but I think Highway to Hell, if you've seen it, it had an opportunity to be really something cool. Yeah. But it didn't work because of the distribution being uh, bankruptcy. Yeah. So you know, obviously Friday the 13th unequivocally. What um, so after you Kane came in and then he was also. He was pushed out when it came to Freddy versus Jason. Was there any talks about you taking over as Jason, or? No, I mean, it, it's interesting because you know people ask that, and you know it was a business decision that was made. Uh, Kane Hodder had had conversation that he was going to do the Freddy versus Jason, and then for whatever reason, the decision made to go with Kim. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure Kane was bummed about it, but it is business, a business decision. Uh, all of us want to be the starting quarterback. Everybody does. Nobody wants to sit the bench. You know that. Mm-hmm. However, the coach made the decision. The business decision was they really wanted. I mean, if you met Ken, he's about six six. Yeah. You know, uh, so they really wanted this uh, oversized proportion against Freddie Krueger. Robert, you know, I think Robert might be five nine, maybe five mm-hmm. ten. Um, so take a look at the six six factor. Just made it much more menacing. And I'm sure today that, you know, when I speak to Ken, and I saw Ken a couple weeks ago, or Kane, you know, of course, Kane would love to do it. I mean, you know, he, again, has done all the hatchets. He's done uh, the Friday the 13th, and again, what an ambassador when it comes to getting out there and showing what he can do. Mm -hmm. What, um, how do you think you would have done in the role of Jason with Robert England alongside you? Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I know I can, I, I could have delivered at that time for sure. I still think that, you know, my character, the way I approach, portray Jason is a little different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle how Ken reacts body-wise and how Kane reacts body-wise. Uh, Ken is a little more subdued if you look at his Jason character. Mm-hmm. And Kane is a little more animated when you look at his Jason character. And then you look at me, I'm down the middle. Yeah. You know, I've still got that powerful walk and presence, uh, but there's a little difference. So I think at the end of the day, I, I think I, I'm pretty confident we've done well either way. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer at the end of the day. I can deliver at that point. I think Kane could deliver. Um, I think Ken is very grateful that he did the part. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, again, I always say, I give Kane his credit, his, his due. He's been out there and done four. And when people think of Jason, most people know Kane, mm-hmm. to be fair. Yeah. Uh, you know, they do. They, they really do. So, you know what? Some people, again, you don't want to be on the bench, but at the end of the day, hey, you know what? You know, uh, Ken stepped up and delivered as a quarterback. And good for him. So, with, um, with your Friday the 13th, it was kind of like the first movie where Jason came back as a zombie. Did that, did that change any way of, like, how you portrayed him? 
because uh, when Tom McLaughlin wrote and directed it, he was looking for not the word zombie because he didn't want it just to be a dead people walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he really referenced back in the 60s, the Boris Karloff Lon Chaney's of Frankenstein. Wanted to have that menacing walk, that curiosity, learning. But then again, uh, when Frankenstein got angry, you're, you know, basically you're dead. So he didn't want a complete zombie, but he really didn't want Jason to uh, run or be out of character with the menacing piece that he was. And that's how we delivered it in part six. Did, um, did you feel any kind of pressure on you coming in as Jason with, um, like all the other actors, like before you? No, not at all, because, you know, I was the biggest Jason at that point. Mm-hmm. So size-wise, I mean, if you take a look at Ari, he was a young man, Steve Dash, he's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, he's still a normal-sized person. Uh, Ted White's about 6'4", you know, but, you know, a little leaner than I. And then, of course, part five was Tom doing all these stunts. And then Dick, who was the person that portrayed Jason, uh, the ambulance driver. Mm-hmm. So, no. And again, you look at it in today's world. Yeah, whoever steps in to do the next one, be it Derek, me, or Kane, or a new person, they're going to have some pressure because they're going to be scrutinized because of the way the series has taken off to become a worldwide icon. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of water scenes in your film. How was it recording your, how was it recording that? Um, it was interesting because, you know, uh, you saw me going out in the water after the boat and that was done on the stagnant lake in Covington, Georgia. Then you see me underwater, I mean, physically underwater. That was done in a 20 foot deep swimming pool, which is a diving, Olympic diving pool in Los Angeles done at night. And then you see me while I'm on fire fighting on the boat. That was done in a six foot, seven foot uh, pool where I was done that. Then you see the scene where the, the hockey mask gets beat up by the propeller blade. Mm-hmm. That was done in Tom McLaughlin's mother and father's pool in his backyard. Wow. Um, was it challenging with the outfit on? It was, but you, you know, again, uh, I was, yeah, it was. I was chained. 20 feet down in a pool, standing on a center block. Mm-hmm. Uh, the walls were all blacked out with tarp. It was, you know, dark, obviously. We started shooting at, you know, 8, 9 o'clock. We finished 5 o'clock in the morning. And I was physically chained down. Chained down. So I had safety divers around me that when I signaled for air, they'd swim in and just lift my mask up and stick a regulator in my, in my mouth, clear it for me. I'd take a few deep breaths, pull my mask down, and continue to do a fight scene. Every 15, 20 minutes, they'd take the chain off my neck. The safety divers would take me to the top. I'd hang on the edge of the pool and look at a small miniature camera of the playback. And then Tom McLaughlin would tell me, do this, do that. Let the body start to float up towards the top real slow. And then just let go of it and release it, you know, so we could get that ending shot where Tommy is theoretically drowned. And now his body's float to the top. But I'm still dead. Mm-hmm. Um, in the recent movie, it, they kept Pennywise away from the kids. Um, did they keep you away from any of the kids while they were filming? And like, um, kind of like a know, surprise? I, I, I stayed away from everybody, not purposely, just because I was hanging out with the special effects people that were doing my makeup and the squids and the, the stunt people. So I was on a different line or side completely. 
So it wasn't that I stayed away from them mandatorily. I just did because I was hanging with the people. I mean, the wardrobe people would come by and do their wardrobe. And, you know, there were scenes of me in the back of the truck just laying there taking a nap with squids all over my chest ready to blow up while I was getting ready to be called up on the set. Mm-hmm. What, um, what other character would you love to play? Well, back then, that day, I always knew being 6'3", 240, 250, that I was going to be limited what I could do. Um, it's too bad I didn't stay in the industry. I would have loved to play Leatherface one time. I would have loved to play Michael Myers one time, um, Predator, any of the above. Uh, I would have liked to have been like Boris Karloff or Lon Chaney that plays Frankenstein, Werewolf, Dracula, Mummy, and be known that if we need to put prosthetics on somebody, we need an oversized person. Hey, just call CJ. You know, he can get in there. He can do the stunts. And, you know, he doesn't care if you see his face. He's just here to work, enjoy himself, and, and produce what needs to be done and do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to add? Well, I, I think most importantly, um, Sean, that, you know, I'm very grateful 30-some-odd uh, years later that all the fans are really supportive I've got a really great fan base as part six, so I'm a very, I'm always humbly appreciative. Um, and you know what? Like I said, I'm, I'm doing a few shows this year. I got Texas Frightmare coming up next week. I'll be in Alabama. Excuse me, this weekend I'll be in Alabama at the Comic Con. But the Texas Frightmare in May is a big one coming up. Uh, I just want to, you know, get out there and meet the fans and let them know how much we appreciate them because without the fan base, uh, at the end of the day, Jason has. No, no punt intended, but not a leg to stand on. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much, CJ, for doing this. Hey, it's my pleasure, buddy. Thank you all for listening to that amazing interview with CJ Graham. Let me know what you guys think, and let me know who you want to see on the show or here on the show. I will try my best to get an interview with them. Stay metal. Stay metal.